This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, if you're a new listener, welcome. This is where we look at the world of finance and investing and the economy in light of what's happened in the past. Your history teacher was right. Those who don't study history and learn the lessons of history are doomed to repeat the mistakes of history. So that's what we do here. And today, joining me in the second and third segments is first-time guest, Mr. Rob Kirby of Kirby Analytics. Uh, You're going to uh, appreciate Rob's perspective on the financial markets as well. And hey, we are all about education here at RLA Radio. If you have not yet downloaded the Your RLA app, it is free. You can go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. The website, again, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, and you can download the app, which will get you access to our weekly update webinars. It will get you access to the podcast version of our radio program, and it will also get you access to our weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter, all free and all available through the app. So just go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and download the app. You know, this past week, uh, I took a look at an article that was put together by John Rubino, who is a past guest here on the program, and he made what I thought was an interesting point about precious metals and owning gold and silver in light of all the excess money creation going on all around the world today. And John suggested that money managers who don't recommend gold to their clients are now becoming the exception rather than the rule. We have for a very long time here on the program, since gold was $1,100 an ounce many years ago, recommended that investors think about or seriously consider putting 10% or so of their portfolio in physical metals. We have now as all the money printing has taken place earlier this year, suggested that up to 20% may make sense. This past week, UBS, as well as Wells Fargo, joined the gold parade. Uh, UBS Global Wealth Management said this, we like gold because we think gold is likely to hit about $2,000 per ounce by the end of the year. Wells Fargo joined in as well. John LaForge, who is Wells Fargo's head of real assets, said, We're buyers of gold. After a great seven-month run, gold cooled off in August and September. Gold spot prices today sit about $200 an ounce lower than they did at its all-time high of $2075 per ounce set in August. He went on to say the fundamental backdrop looks good. Interest rates remain low. Money supplies are excessive, meaning they're creating a lot of it. And we view gold at these prices as a good buying opportunity. Well, the facts are that gold right now accounts for about 1% of global investable capital. That's according to John Rabino. And he goes on to explain What a move from 1% of total investable funds in gold to 5% over the next few years would mean. And John did some research and found that the entire gold market, the total value of all gold that exists at today's prices, 
about $10 trillion. Now that seems like a really big number, but not when you compare it to stocks. Equities or stocks total about $100 trillion worldwide. Also, a very, very big number. Now, when you take a look at bonds and other debt instruments, that's a $250 trillion market, and real estate is another $250 trillion market. Now, let's ignore cash. Let's ignore derivatives. Let's just add up real estate of $250 trillion, bonds of $250 trillion, and stocks of $100 trillion, and we have a $600 trillion total for those three markets. Now, if we assume that another 4% of this flows into precious metals, $600 trillion times 4% is $24 trillion pouring into a $10 trillion sector. Now, that doesn't sound possible unless gold prices rise dramatically. And, of course, that arbitrarily picks 5% as the end point for a gold allocation in the average portfolio. We have been suggesting people consider more than that for quite some time. If you have a world where we have political and financial instability and more money creation and traditional assets seem like they're a lot more risky, and certainly we get that sense today, gold going up might have people suggesting that they hold more than that 5% allocation in gold. Now, in the last segment of today's program, I am going to talk about the European Central Bank because quietly this past week, the European Central Bank filed a trademark through their law firm for a digital euro. So we're seeing money changes that are being considered, seriously considered and tested all around the world. Uh, we talk about the currency cycle and how we're nearing the end of the currency cycle in our October newsletter. Again, if you don't have access to our app, go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, download the app, and you'll get access to all these resources, and there are resources on the site as well. So again, the website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Stay with me. I'll be back after these words with my guest, Mr. Rob Kirby. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure today of chatting with first-time guest here on the program, uh, Rob Kirby. Uh, Rob is the founder of Kirby Analytics. You can check out his work at kirbyanalytics.com. Uh, I have been a big fan of uh, Rob's work and perspective from a distance for a very long time, so it's a real pleasure to have him on the program and uh, share his perspective with you. So, uh, Rob, welcome, and thanks for taking time out to join us today. Dennis, Pleasure to make the acquaintance. So, Rob, uh, you uh, contend that there is a lot more money being created than is being admitted. And we chatted for a bit before we started the interview, and I, uh, I learned uh, a lot from you. So just explain to our listeners, why do you think that, and, and what's the evidence? Well, the, 
the rationale for saying there's a lot more money than uh, what the mainstream would have us believe, Dennis, uh, it really flows from the work of Dr. Chris Martinson. And Dr. Chris Martinson produced something back in 2009 called the Crash Course. And if you Google Chris Martinson's name, and along with Crash Course, you will find links to the audio-visual presentation of the Crash Course. And what the Crash Course shows is the life cycle of fiat money with compound interest, regardless of whose currency it is. So it's 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 highly adaptable and and uh, illustrative of the growth cycle of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. And what what the analogy or the comparison is in the in the crash course, it, it, it illustrates the magic of compounding. So and to illustrate the magic of compounding, Chris Martinson explains in his crash course. If you start off with a drop of water in the middle of Yankee Stadium, and if you double the amount of water every minute, how many minutes does it take before Yankee Stadium is completely full to the top uh, with water? And it's a very interesting uh, concept. And if, if you do the math on how long it takes Yankee Stadium to fill up with water, beginning with a drop and doubling the amount every minute. Yankee Stadium becomes completely full in, I believe it's 45 or 50 minutes. And that's every really, minute, incidentally, not every second. We're talking yeah, every minute. Every minute. So, and the very, really, the part that really grabbed me about this is that after when the the time scale that he used it was either 45 or 50 minutes but the really the really important thing is that in the last 5 minutes the water goes from being up to the ankles of somebody standing on third base to having the whole whole stadium full so all the action occurs in the last 5 minutes well fiat money with compound interest works on the same principle as the water in the stadium. And you see, we're right now late in the game of fiat money with compound interest. And the amount of fiat money that necessarily has to be created as dictated by compound interest. We are at basically... I'm going to say metaphorically, we're in the last five minutes now. And the, the amount of fiat money that is being created is far, far, far in excess of what is admitted. Because, I mean, in the last six months or so, we've had the Fed grow their balance sheet by, and look, I mean, where, where their balance sheet is exactly today is, but let, let's just say it, it's probably grown something like five trillion dollars in the last six months that's acknowledged i'm just going to say that the analogy that i made with the with the compound interest and, and with the water in yankee stadium would be more much more indicative that very likely tens of trillions additional have been created 
And the real issue becomes, just as the water in Yankee Stadium, where do you put all the water? Where do you put all the money that is being created? You can't acknowledge to the public that you're creating the amount of money you truly are, or you would have an instantaneous hyperinflation and foreigners would instantaneously uh, stop taking the U.S. dollar in trade. Um, so the money has to be hidden. And lo and behold, America has places where it can hide money, where it can't be seen, where it can be, where it can be marshaled up to, to make things appear normal. And, and, and one of these hiding places, and, and probably the foremost of these hiding places, is the Exchange Stabilization Fund. And the Exchange Stabilization Fund, or ESF, as it's often referred to uh, by its initials, is a, is a financial black hole. It's a secretive adjunct of the U.S. Treasury. It was created in 1934 and funded with the proceeds that arose from the confiscation and revaluation of American citizens' gold. Because in 1934, the Federal Reserve, or the, it was the U.S. Treasury that actually confiscated the gold from the American citizenry. Uh, they paid everyone $22 an ounce for their gold when they confiscated it. Uh, and then six months later, the gold that was confiscated was revalued to $35 an ounce, which created a windfall profit of roughly $3 trillion, uh, sorry, $3 billion. You want to just keep my billions and trillions straight here. <laughs> different, and, same money, probably, I mean, just different decade. Yeah, but I mean, the amazing thing about all that, Dennis, is back, back in uh, 1934, $3 billion was a lot of money. And the $3 billion windfall, that was the money that was used to seed the Exchange Stabilization Fund. And that literally, with the stroke of a pen, made the Exchange Stabilization Fund the most powerful financial entity on the planet, with more resources than the actual visible part of the U.S. Treasury. And these guys basically have one mandate. Uh, and the mandate of the Exchange Stabilization Fund is to basically keep the U.S. dollar uh, as, as as a viable uh, world global reserve currency. So that's what their mission statement is, to perpetuate the dollar as the world's reserve currency. And that's what they've been doing. And they've been engaged in everything from uh, currency manipulation, precious metals uh, manipulation, or so I'm gonna say price suppression. Uh, they, they act as stand-ins if the US government happens to have uh, a, a debt auction that isn't very well attended. Um, you know, they can, they can marshal the resources in that fund to uh, make bids for US government debt. Uh, and, a, and an interesting corollary to all this is that, I mean, I have a background in financial services, uh, institutional uh, brokerage, and I spent a lot of years uh, uh, as a broker in the bond markets, and both U.S. and Canadian bond markets. And I can tell you that the only sovereign 
issuer of debt that has never in the world had a had a, a failed bond auction is the United States government, and that's a pretty odd thing, uh, if you want to think about it. And the reason uh, I would have it, the reason why the United States has never once had a failed bond auction is because they always have a, let's just say they've got a homer bid in their back pocket. <laughs> because the exchange stabilization fund and the assets that are hidden and, and, and in this black box can be marshaled up at any time required to stand in and basically buy any amount of debt that the U.S. government wishes to issue. So uh, the amount of money that's being created, it's greater, it's greater than what is acknowledged because it has to be created or the system completely and utterly implodes on itself. And the real issue for the people that are printing all this money, they know what they're doing. And the real problem is where do you put it? And how do you keep it from showing its face in, in the real world where it will be recognized for what it is and which would undermine confidence in the dollar. So it's a game of, basically it's a game of, uh, it's a shell game. You know, like a magician with, uh, you know, three shells on a table, and he has to keep you guessing which shell, uh, you know, the, uh, the little ball is under, and, uh, you know, at the, end, at the end of the trick, uh, you know, you find out that it's really not three balls, it's really three cubes, and they're under, every, and they're under, all, they're under all the shells. Um, anyway, the, money, the money's being printed, the money's being kept from our vision, but it, it, it shows itself because there's seepage, and the seepage ends up showing itself in... Uh, interest rates being intuitively uh, or counterintuitively at record lows when there's record issuance of debt and historic uh, issuance of debt and annual deficits that are spiraling up and becoming bigger and bigger on a yearly basis. And despite all this record issuance of debt, interest rates are glued to zero and looks like they could go lower. And we see, uh, we, we see, I mean, uh, we see interference in the, in the currency markets because uh, with, with the monetization of debt that the government is issuing, uh, it has the appearance of making the dollar look strong, which overinflates uh, the, the, the most widely viewed measure of the dollar is, is the DXY or the Dixie Index, which basically measures the dollar against another basket of uh, Western currencies, the Euro, uh, the British Pound, uh, the Canadian dollar has a small uh, participation in that, and the I believe the Swiss franc and the Japanese yen. So uh, those are the fundamental currencies that the dollar is measured against in the Dixie Index. Um, that's made to look artificially and counterintuitively strong, given the amount of debt that's being issued in America. Uh, uh, the amount of money being, uh, uh, being printed that isn't acknowledged, there is seepage into our 
uh, equity markets, which is why despite half of the U.S. economy being in lockdown uh, with with the uh, COVID virus uh, that, that, that has beset us, um, with, with half the economy being in lockdown, we still have record equity prices with the Dow making new highs, NASDAQ making new highs, and S&P making new highs, despite half the economy being in utter lockdown. And I, I would also point out that the suppression of precious metals prices, despite physical precious metal being unavailable uh, for immediate delivery, and, and with waiting times for people wishing to procure physical precious metal, uh, despite those times lengthening, um, we have seen some of the most vicious attacks on the price of metal in the futures markets, COMEX and LBMA, in the last month in particular. And all this despite the fact that JP Morgan AL have been have been convicted of rigging the prices, and when I say rigging, I'm talking about suppressing the prices of precious metal. Uh, JP Morgan has been ordered to pay a, a billion dollar fine for doing just this. Of course, nobody goes to jail for for committing this crime, and. Frankly, it's my personal belief that the virus uh, that we're all experiencing globally was dropped on humanity very likely because of the amount of money that is being created. The monetary masters, in my view, knew that if they did not lock down the economy in the Western world, uh, and throw a lot of people out of work, um, that we would probably be experiencing a hyperinflation right now because the seepage of this additional money that, that's being created, because it has to be created, if, if it were bleeding into the economy when everybody was employed and earning income, uh, it in my view, would have, would have tipped off our hyperinflation already. But instead, these people, and they are sinister, sinister people that run our global monetary edifice, they figured if they had half the people unemployed and on the government dole, that they would be able to, basically, it gave them uh, an excuse uh, to distribute a whole lot of money they had to print anyway, and the effect of printing and distributing that money wouldn't be as inflationary if everybody was gainfully employed and the money had to be, be pushed into the economy with, every, with full employment. So it's called, it's called, uh, it's acting as a sponge. Uh, the, this COVID thing acts as a perfect sponge for monetary abuse when you're printing way more money because it soaks up a lot or it, it it acts as a proxy to chew up a whole lot of money that otherwise would have impacted the real economy. Rob, I'm, the, the clock tells me that we've got to leave it there. I want to pick this conversation up if we could in the next segment. Sure. Um, so uh, you are listening today to Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. I'm chatting with Mr. Rob Kirby of Kirby Analytics. His website is kirbyanalytics.com. We'll pick it up and continue with Rob Kirby in the next segment. Stay with us. 
You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I'm chatting today and getting the perspective of Mr. Rob Kirby of Kirby Analytics. Um, Rob, I just want to pick it up in this segment where we left it off in the last segment. Uh, you've got so much information that uh, I want to get out to the listeners. Um, you know, there are have been a number of, of academic studies that suggest that, uh, you know, the fact that there's a lot more money being created uh, than, than than the officials or the uh, the central bankers are letting on uh, certainly seems to, to, to confirm what you're saying. Can you, can you maybe get into that a little bit? Yeah, and, and here, Dennis, I'm going to reference the work of uh, Dr. Mark Skidmore uh, of Michigan State University, who occupies a very prestigious uh, chair in economics uh, at uh, Michigan State with a, with a team of Ph.D. student research uh, uh, students. And he's done some prying into the books of the U.S. government over the last three or four years. And in, in, his, in his most uh, – his, his initial work uh, findings were published, I believe it was two and a half years ago. And uh, th- this was work he did jointly with Catherine Austin Fitz, who is the former undersecretary of HUD Housing and Urban Development. And uh, together, uh, Fitz and Skidmore uh, uncovered $21 trillion in missing money uh, from the government books uh, from HUD and uh, the Department of Defense from the years 1998 to 2015. So that covered a 17-year period. Uh, $21 trillion. I remember we talked about it on the program a couple years ago. That's remarkable. Yeah, well, anyway, and that's that's very well documented. And, and let me just say that the the response to Skidmore publishing his findings on Catherine uh, Fitz's website, which is solari.com, and people can go there by uh, going to solari.com and, and searching for m- missing money. Um, but Skidmore has has updated his work, and he's begun looking at the time period from 2015 onward. And his most recent work uh, delved into government books, uh, specifically U.S. government Social Security trust accounts uh, in the year 2019. And what Dr. Skidmore's work has uncovered in in his examination of social security trust accounts um, is something bizarre. And for instance, a a single retirement account that's managed by the Social Security Trust Administration, uh, one account with $32 billion in assets, that's 32 billion with a B, had a turnover in one year of 12 trillion. So, and that's trillion with a T. So $32 billion, allegedly 32 billion, and this is using government data. This is not something that uh, Dr. Skidmore pulled out of his ear or any other orifice on his body. (laughs) This is using government data and, and, and having it analyzed you've got 32 billion in assets with a turnover and this these are retirement assets having a turnover of 12 trillion in a year 
another account with 250 billion with a B had a turnover of 44 trillion in a year. So this smacks of something which isn't management of retirement assets. This, to begin with, smacks of a colossal, in my view anyway, a colossal financial fraud. And my best guess is that this, this satisfies and speaks directly to the notion that we are entering or are in now currently the last five minutes, metaphorically, of the fiat pool filling up or the, the fiat money filling up in Yankee Stadium. And this is money that, that compounding dictates must be created. And it is, in fact, being created, I would contend. And this is based on, I'm drawing my own conclusions here, Dennis, understand. I'm drawing my own conclusions from Dr. Skidmore's work. And this guy is above, above credible. Like this guy is uh, brilliant. Uh, and uh, this guy is no, no old bird. He is, he's the real McCoy and he knows his stuff. And his work is beyond reproach. And, and he's using government data and, and the churn is there. And let's just say this, Dennis, the turnover that's occurring in accounts that are allegedly retirement accounts, this is incongruent with the way retirement assets are managed, period. doesn't occur that way in the real world. So there's something up here that, that, that doesn't smell good. And, it, and like I say, it reeks of colossal financial fraud. And I would contend what, it, what, we're, what we're seeing here or what I'm describing really is, 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 a, is a money mill. So let, let's, Rob, just stop for a minute because somebody listening to this um, is going to say, well, wait a minute, um, I get this. Uh, we've had other guests on the program, Alistair McLeod, that contend we're, we're, we're getting close to the end of the, uh, you know, the, the fiat money game, to, to use that term. In your view, what does the end game look like? How does this ultimately play out? Well, the end game, in my view, Dennis, it, 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 the way it plays out is we will see a breakdown in the or a, disc, a total discrediting of the futures markets for precious metal, because I believe that the precious metals markets are the Achilles heel of this scheme to create endless amounts of money. And the reason why precious metal is the Achilles heel to this is is precisely because you cannot print physical metal. It has to be mined from the Earth's crust. Now, futures, precious metals futures can be created in infinite amounts and are created in infinite amounts on, on exchanges like the COMEX and the LBMA, the London Bullion Market Association. But when the wait times for physical precious metal stretch out to a point where the paper price of metal or the futures price isn't congruent because you see as as wait times for physical metal get longer the premiums that people have to pay to get physical metal keep growing and you get to a point where if 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 the futures price of gold says that gold should be 
$2,000 an ounce. And let's just say hypothetically, but if people are paying $3,000 an ounce for, uh, for gold, when the, when the paper price or the futures price says it should be $2,000, um, the people, people will uh, pick up their pail and shovel from the, from the, from the Comex beach and they'll go home. Because, and, and at that point, metals prices will become cash and carry. So it, the monetary excess, the debasement of the money, the creation of this excess amount of money that is being created, uh, because math tells us it has to be created, uh, it's discrediting the very systems they have to, you know, it's, it's discrediting price discovery and the viability of uh, futures markets as, as legitimate price discovery mechanisms. And when, when, that, when confidence in those price discovery mechanisms completely fails, it undermines the, the, the faith in, in the U.S. dollar because these are the support structures for the dollar. Do you see a worldwide currency reset of some type coming, maybe like a Bretton Woods on steroids? Or how, how do you see currencies I see, evolving? I, I see physical precious metal becoming cash and carry, and I see its price going dramatically higher. And I see the rise of cryptocurrencies, uh, dramatically so. And I believe coming to a theater near you really soon. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Our guest today has been Mr. Rob Kirby. His website is kirbyanalytics.com. I would encourage you to check it out. Uh, Rob, a fascinating interview. would love to have you back down the road. We appreciate you joining us today. would be my pleasure to join you once again. RLA Radio will return after these words. Stay with us. Dennis Tubergen, and you are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you're listening in today, and thanks again to our special guest, Mr. Rob Kirby, for joining us today. You know, I have talked on past programs about the fact that we are nearing the end, in my view, of the credit cycle, and we're also nearing the end of the currency cycle. Just a few weeks ago, the president of the Cleveland Federal Reserve Bank, Loretta Mester, gave us a hint at just how close the U.S. might be to a comprehensive overhaul of the entire fiat system. And this is what she said, and I am quoting. Legislation has proposed that each American have an account at the Fed, meaning the Federal Reserve, in which digital dollars could be deposited as liabilities of the Federal Reserve Banks, which could be used for emergency payments. Legislation has proposed that each American have an account at the Fed in which digital dollars could be deposited as liabilities of the Federal Reserve Banks, which could be used for emergency payments. In other words, if every American had a digital wallet at the Fed and the government decided as part of a stimulus package they wanted to give everybody money, they could just deposit the digital money into 
your digital wallet. Now, Simon Potter, who led the Federal Reserve Bank of New York's market group for many years, and Julia Coronado, who spent eight years as an economist for the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors, in a Bloomberg interview in August, suggested that depositing digital dollars directly into households' apps would be a good idea. So this whole idea of digital money is gaining steam, particularly when you take a look at the fact that countries like Uruguay, Ukraine, the Bahamas, and parts of China are testing digital currencies of their own. And of course, cryptocurrencies, which my guest today, Rob Kirby, discussed briefly, Digital currencies and cryptocurrencies are essentially the same thing. We're just talking about a digital currency that would be issued by a central bank. Now, as much as this is being discussed in the United States, Europe may be closer to hitting the go button on a digital currency. On September 22, just a couple weeks ago, the European Central Bank filed a trademark application and they wanted to turn the trademark the term digital euro. Now, this is outlined on the website of the European Union Intellectual Property Office. And the firm the trademark application was filed by the central bank's legal representatives at Bach Legal. Now, the trademark application is rather extensive, but when you take a look at what the application encompasses, it encompasses computer hardware and software with applications for software blockchains. And of course, blockchain technology is the technology that's used in cryptocurrencies. The application would also include programming services in the field of information technology in connection with software for e-commerce, Design, development, and implementation of software in the field of blockchains. It sure sounds like the European Central Bank wants to get in the crypto or digital currency business. Now, interestingly, this trademark application is filed at the same time as the amount of currency in circulation in Europe just jumped into double digits. It's the fastest pace this decade. Now, When I say double-digit growth, that's on a percentage basis. And one has to wonder if the European Central Bank is creating all this currency, if they would like to be able to have a digital currency versus cash, which obviously the cynic in all of us would say that if there is a digital currency that's deposited in a bank, that bank could get away with charging negative interest rates. And you would certainly probably spend your money versus pay a negative interest rate and lose some of it. So one has to wonder if that's not what's behind this move. Now, Alistair McLeod, a former guest here on the program as well, recently wrote a piece outlining the quantity of fiat money that exists. And if you look purely at the United States, If you go back and look at some time that might be more normal, the fiat money quantity is 35 to 45% of gross domestic product. 
So if the United States has economic output in a year of $20 trillion, one would expect somewhere between 7 and $9 trillion of fiat currency to exist. According to Mr. McLeod, that number is now 300%. And of course, if you listen to my interview with Rob Kirby today, he provided some evidence and referenced some academic studies that I encourage you to go check out for yourself that would make that level of fiat money creation seem low. So the European Central Bank on October 2 made a formal announcement. They filed the trademark application on September 22, but on October 2, they said this. They're going to start conducting experiments to decide whether to launch a digital euro. And that story was published on Euro News. Now, Christine Lagarde is the chair of the European Central Bank. And Christine Lagarde used to actually be the director at the International Monetary Fund. Now, Ms. Lagarde said this, Europeans are increasingly turning to digital in the ways they spend, save, and invest. Our role is to secure trust in money. Our role, she says, is to make the people using the money trust the money. This means making sure the euro is fit for the digital age. We should be prepared to issue a digital euro should the need arise, she said. And I would go back to the point that saving is really not an option if the bank is paying 0.5, negative 0.5% interest, which is certainly the case. Seems pretty obvious that this digitalization effort is an attempt to prevent Europeans from keeping paper cash. See, if you hold paper cash you at least, for a short time anyway, break even versus paying a negative interest rate. That certainly seems to be a big motivation since negative interest rates have existed in much of Europe for a very long time. Certainly going back to what I talked about in the first segment today, it does make holding tangible assets attractive as well. Not only because tangible assets can provide a terrific inflation hedge, But tangible assets and cash now offer about the same yield, zero. So if you're going to hold assets in cash, you're going to hold assets in tangible assets like gold or silver and get 0% return, you have to ask, where might you get more upside? Alistair McLeod, former guest here on the program, and I referenced him earlier in the program, had this to say in an article that he published just last week. He said, China has already declared a policy of reducing her dollar investments in U.S. Treasury bonds and selling her dollars to buy commodities. Few realize it, but China is doing what ordinary people do when they begin to abandon a currency, dumping it for tangible goods which will cost more in the future due to the dollar's declining purchasing power. And as the dollar's purchasing power declines, measured in commodities, more nations are likely to follow China's lead. Now, if you've not yet visited 
the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates website at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com to download the Your RLA app. I would strongly encourage you to do that. That app will give you access to all of our resources at no cost. You'll get access to our weekly update webinar. You'll get access to the podcast. You'll also get access to the weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter. Again, to get the app, the Your RLA app, all you have to do is visit retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and follow the instructions. And uh, there's also additional resources available on that website. It's all the time I have for this week. You'll want to tune in next week when my guest will be Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with Jeffrey. Very glad you decided to tune in this week, and I hope you got something you can use. Talk to you again next week. 